Hello everyone and welcome to season two of the Humans of Sydney podcast. So the reason we're calling it season two is that Adam and I took a little bit of a break from podcasting as we kind of mentioned in our last episode. Um, this was honestly really my fault because I was doing this silly thing, posing on stage for a bodybuilding show and we both started internships so we don't have a whole lot of time. But in saying that, season two is ready to roll. We have a lot of um, guests coming up and expect the weekly upload to come back again. Um, today, back by very popular demand, we have Jack Jacobs. Um, me and Adam pretty much think that we could podcast this guy for years and years mm. on end and still have, content, <laughs> still have content to produce. So um, we're hoping this is going to be an interesting episode. Yeah. So for those of you that didn't watch the last episode of Jack or you don't really know him, um, yeah, I went to Newington with him. Very intelligent guy. There's arts law and he participates in a lot of sort of community-based organisations. He loves writing. He loves philosophy. He loves exploring ideas and their effect on the world. He's mm. um, sort of a mixture of someone who explores like ancient ideas and someone who likes to talk about contemporary life and mix the two together. Um, and yeah, he's got a, no- a lot of knowledge to share. And recently you've been writing a paper. Yeah for a, yeah, a literary thing. And it's been about sort of technology and democracy and social media. Can you sort of explain to us a little bit about this paper you've been Before writing? you dive into yeah, this, sure, yeah. how long were you writing this paper for? Yeah. So, <laughs> I was writing this paper for around seven to nine months, I think. So mm. quite, quite often, every day chipping in, doing a lot of reading for it, probably two hours a day writing, learning a lot about how I write, what not to do, what doesn't work, mm. and thinking about a host of ideas that I w- was already playing with and kind of bringing them together into a more cohesive whole in this piece. Mm. Um, so we talked about it quite a bit, but essentially what I looked at was how social media and kind of modern technology or the business model undergirding, which I kind of refer to as surveillance capitalism, following this, um, this woman, this incredible professor named Shoshana Zuboff's conception of the business model, looking at how that business model and social media exploits existing human fractures in the way that we go about our democracy and how our own humanity works um, to kind of render us into this uh, crazy crowd state where we start to lose a sense of our, uh, our manners, our morality, and our mm. kind of intelligent relationships with each other. So what was interesting about this piece was it gives you an opportunity to look at how philosophy, psychology, history, and all these kinds of very... Um, abstract ideas at times can actually find a linkage and enunciation in the real world. Mm. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of what I was looking yeah. at. Um, so yeah. on this idea of like sort of lacking manners and like mm. morals when talking online, yeah. why does that happen? Um, for example, you bring up the idea of like Tocqueville's township, yeah. how being like sort of in the old days, there was a community where people would yeah. bring ideas to the fore and people would debate them. Mm. And now like Twitter is like our new yeah, township yeah. where you Great, debate yeah. ideas. Why do we lose all this sense of being like a sort of virtual yeah, human cool. being and we just like everyone sees the trolls these days so just to clarify what these things will mean right so when i say manners i don't mean the kind of uh, you know grandmother serving kind of bless yous that you see in the home i mean the manners the kind of relational bonds between people the mm-hmm. kind of respectful treatments between people where you respect the dignity of other people and they yeah. respect the dignity of you so um you know those are what manners are they're these kind of organic moral principles what the township is, is the idea, as Adam just said, is this notion that human beings don't exist in a vacuum. Um, they exist in communities, right? Um, this kind of stems from biological facts about us. We don't want to go into that. But essentially, communities are what keep us together. They're what um, make us kind of mutually productive. 
But at the same time, they're what engender kind of spiritual, um, romantic, sexual uh, friendship connections between us, right? And so townships are very important places because the township comes before government. It's the kind of pre-governmental, pre-law space in which we relate to one another. And so what happens on with social media is that the township is exported from this kind of organic world where we relate to each other onto this virtual hub um, where it becomes distorted and those manner bonds are kind of undone by the business model of social yeah. media, right? Yeah, so like um, a key thing that happens in yeah. social media, which some would say re- is really good and yeah. democratic, is that everybody yeah. is given a voice and you can share that mm. voice and it can be as loud as someone with more money, more power, yeah. in, in a sense. Yeah. Um, should everybody be given a voice? Is it bad that everyone has a voice in social media? Interesting, right? Okay, so to pick that apart first off, the way that voice works in terms of what's loud and what's not, um, in societies, you know, at least particularly in liberal democracies, the way that we work is that everyone has a right to freedom of speech, right? You can voice um, your opinions and it's through the kind of clash of opinions that you get towards truth. That's yeah. the idea, right? Mm. Um, what social media does or initially kind of sought out to do is a wonderful thing and that is that it tries to give everyone the opportunity to have that speaker, to, to have that voice um, from an equal platform. The issue is that, as Topville would talk about, when all voices are equal, but more importantly, when there is uh, nothing receiving that voice that is kind of intelligent or articulate or holds that voice to account, mm. what happens is that the quality of the voices descends down the rudders the, the of civilization. Mm. Right? It's the idea that everyone can now, you know, attack uh, Scott Morrison for taking an action mm. or Jacinda Ardern, whatever they be. Mm. Yeah. Um, so the issue, I think, with social media is that the current unregulation um, and the business model which encourages you know, huge amounts of user engagement and clickbait. And it, it kind of wants people to follow their animalistic emotions and be angry and yeah. jealous and spiteful um, because that kind of negative emotion whips up user engagement. And then that user engagement then brings down the quality of the opinions being perpetuated mm. online. What, what do you so, have that um, backs that up, that they're driving these animalistic behaviours? So yeah, so the, the idea is that, I guess if you're thinking about it from a philosophical point of view, manners, which are the way we relate to each other, the standards of a society are no longer present on social media. Because, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Eric Schmidt and all these guys have kind of um, intentionally removed it, or maybe not intentionally, but at least they've made choices that remove those relationships without considering the unintended consequences, mm. now, right? Um, is this the fault of Facebook of what is happening? Because they're a business like any other. Yeah. They want more customers. They want more revenue. They want people to be on their product mm. for longer. So you've got engineers at Facebook who are yeah. literally like writing code so you will stay addicted to the content for longer. Is this a failure of Facebook or is it a failure of regulators who haven't kept up with technology? Or is it a failure really of capitalism? Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> really interesting. We could say yeah, that as well, delve yeah, deeper. Yeah. Well, I guess it's, it's a, it's a, life is a series of failures, um, but these are kind of abysmal <laughs> mistakes, right? Um, you know? Um, so, but, um, you need to explain that. I don't need to explain that. I think you're a human being, you know what that means. But, um, but the idea is that it's definitely, this was a choice by surveillance capitalists, by Facebook, um, uh, not so much the engineers themselves, but by the leaders, okay? So Zuckerberg made the choice to, make Facebook free, and then he made the choice to adopt the advertising model that Google had developed. Mm. Um, He made the choice to allow for clickbait in that way. Mm. Um, And then he kind of goes off with this kind of sophistry and and kind of pushes out this, we're pushing a privacy dimension, trying to protect your rights, whilst at the same time eroding them and kind of Mm. reducing your your instincts. So um, 
it's definitely a problem. It was the fault of Facebook and Google. Mm. I, I, um, not yeah. so much that, but you can yeah. also go deeper into capitalism because if you think about it, Facebook was a free service yeah. at the start, right? We mm. don't know if Zuck had actually planned to make this yeah. a whole data driving conspiracy, yeah. right? And I don't think he did. I don't think he did. Yeah. Before, before mm. Facebook made a single dollar, I think its valuation was above $500 million, yeah. right? From all the VCs mm. that invested in it. And obviously when you invest in a mm. company, you want to drive profit from that company. Mm. They saw this huge user, user base and like, how can we make profit mm. from it, mm. right? Yeah. To so be sustainable, you need profit. And so like all these yeah. companies, you can say some aspects, they do really great things. But in the end of the day, we live in a capitalist economy. They need to use things like ad mm. work, adworks to keep on functioning. So yeah, is that, totally. do we still call Facebook evil then for doing that? So, so being a business? Yeah, of course, the, the way that capitalism works is that it's uh, essentially, at times, an unregulated scape uh, that gets people to look for methods to compete and actually move forward over one another. Yeah. Um, the way that I view capitalism, however, you, you know, you guys know that I always don't try to seek for abstract perfection. I'm always, you know, looking at how mm. institutions can actually practically work and get us somewhere and then try and reform within that institution to make things better. But the idea is that you're never going to get something that works absolutely perfectly, right? Yeah. The good thing about capitalism is, is that it allows you to reform within it. And so um, it's in that way, I guess, you know, communists and, and people on the left, and there are good arguments for this, uh, wouldn't see capitalism as a morally neutral institution. They, they probably see it in a negative light. But my argument would be that capitalism is an institution that's neutral in the sense that it allows actors to define its limit and scope, right? So it's and that's why I put... Is on the actors. That's why I don't put the responsibility on the invisible hand of Adam Smith, but rather on the actors and organisations who engage mm. in, in, the, in the rhythm of that invisible mm. hand and its contours to shape, you know, yeah. what the values are and how they work. So that's why I hold Facebook accountable yeah. um, and Google. I think... We've, we've already yeah. dived pretty deep into this. Yeah. But, um, what were like your mm. summaries from the paper and what do you think the implications are for future policy sure, yeah. and the way that the average day user interacts with these platforms? Sure, and yeah. Their okay. So platform? like the, the kind of two takeaways in terms of uh, regulation were that we need two regulatory responses. The first is that we need to, going back to Adam's question before, regulators and governments, legislators need to do something about this. Yeah. And people are starting to really realise this. Like after the Christchurch attack um, where the video was live streamed on Facebook and took around 41 minutes or so, I think, to be mm. taken down. It might have been slightly more. Um, Zuckerberg came out in a variety of papers. I think it was the Washington Post. And he said, essentially, that governments need to intervene. You know, governments, mm. you need to regulate now. That was Zuckerberg just, you know... Yeah, that, it's, it's a bit of both, but that was, uh, that was Zuckerberg realising that, hey, I can't get away with this anymore. Mm. I've got to let governments come in. So mm. what are the, leg the legislative responses that we're going to take? There are a variety of ones, and it depends on the jurisdictional context. But essentially what I recommended in, in this thing was that in the US what we should do is that we should be shifting um, the status that the social media companies have as um, as publishers. Currently, they're, they're classed as mere content aggregators, mm. which is the idea that, hey, I'm not responsible for anything that anyone posts on my platform. Mm. I'm, just a, I'm just a platformer. I don't yeah. actually control what's okay. on this thing. That's kind of the argument I just made about capitalism, right? So that's why there are good arguments against that neutrality. Yeah. Um, but what I think that we should be doing is classing these media companies as publishers, as newspaper editor type publishers. So it's Facebook their content right now. Do they curate their content? And in what way do they? This is the big argument, research. right? So, so like, is there empirical yeah. evidence they do? Well, algorithms do all the curation in terms mm. of everything, right? So algorithms are 
are calculating the ways in which your behavior is working, then they're modifying that using behavior mm. modif modification techniques through kind mm. of Skinnerian operant conditioning, which is this idea of play pain and pleasure reactions. Mm. And that's all curation. Mm. The issue is that Zuckerberg is going to say, hey, we don't control where the algorithms go. Um, mm. These things are just kind of working. They're reacting to how you're working. Yeah. But if the I fact is that curation is yeah. at work. If I remember correctly, yeah. when Facebook first started, same as yeah. Instagram, the way the newsfeed worked was that mm. it was just off time. So if something was posted five hours ago, it would be at the bottom. Yeah. If it was yeah. posted five minutes ago, it would be at the top. And now yeah. that's completely changed. Like something gets a lot of likes, a lot of traction, yeah. it's at the top. Well, but know, that, yeah. that in the sense of curation. Yeah. So you can refresh your it's, Facebook yeah. feed a second later and it'll be a completely different feed because yeah. the algorithms have already judged what you want yeah. next. Yeah. So the idea is as soon as you create, you're responsible for content in some way. Mm. Um, so they should be classed as um, as publishers. Now, in the US, this would involve um, there's a variety of things you can do. It would involve extending First Amendment protections to these companies, so their free speech rights are still open, and they can still, you know, not be intervened with by government. I would open plaintiffs to regulate them from within. I think you're alluding to a few things yeah. right here, and I mm. think the average person, and me included, yeah. would just their understanding of Facebook yeah. ads is look. I type something, whatever, it looks at my what I'm typing um, and it gives a prediction of an mm. ad, right? Mm. Is that the extent to what it can do or is there a lot? Is there a deeper Is that level? even bad? What if it gives me suggestions about things I want? This is the argument, right? So it's not so much the, um, the service that is an issue. That's a separate argument. It's yeah. the kind of collateral damage that ensues in the process. So just to, just to really simply explain how it works, Google invented this thing called AdWords, where yep. they realized that they had all this free space on their search results that they could then sell to advertisers to get revenue from people doing searches, right? Yep. Um, the way that AdWords worked, however, was that rather than traditional advertising, which projects laterally an idea to a public and then allows the, the um, you know, individual agents to come to them. Yeah. What Google advertising did was that it started to target, which was happening before, but was modifying behavior at the same time in an unprecedented way mm. by extracting your data, seeing what you were liking, what you were searching, what times of the day you were doing it, um, how your mood was being affected by different fonts and, um, and different shapes and imagery, and then repurposing that to mm. attack and mm. direct it to you. So the issue is, is that these guys were extracting our data and are extracting our data, but more than that, churning that into a kind of um, psychological um, weaponizing mechanism that plays into your mind and actually reshapes it and remodifies yeah. it. So they're changing the person in, in the advertising yeah. process. I was reading um, one of the um, quarterly essays a couple yeah. of months back. Which one was that? Uh, I forget, I think it was a Canadian writer and right. it was talking about social media and how it sort of leads to a loss of the self. A loss yeah, of I read the that private actually. Yeah, self. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so totally. there's this idea that we've got this sort of isolated mm. version of us that only we know about. Mm. It's like, that almost yeah. our soul and social media mm. and technology companies, it sort of digs into that. Yeah. It takes our data, it takes it's, our emotions yeah. and like, in the future, we're going to have, we're probably going to have technology mm. that like sort of, you've got a phone and it reads your mind and your brainwaves and yeah. it's no idea of that. Like this, that's, yeah. sort of solitude that's, that's yeah. amazing that you say that. There's this great line in 1984, um, George Orwell's book, uh, that is not normally quoted where he says, there were a few cubic centimeters inside your skull that were your own. So even in the world of 1984, that mm. kind of horrible totalitarian big brother's place, um, Winston still sees his own humanity being his own in his mind, at least at the start of the book. That mm. changes. The idea is that Facebook algorithms invade even that space. So even the space inside your head is no longer your own because your behavior is kind of being exchanged in this black marketplace where you don't even know what's going around and what they know about you and how they're tailoring it to you. So you make this really good point. Maybe the advertising thing's not so bad. Okay, let's leave mm. that to the side. I won't make a judgment on that. 
But the problem I have is that this this program, this way of doing things, then changes the way we do our politics, the way that we relate to each other online in every way. How so? Because what happens is that it allows um, it allows political content, and this is what the whole Mueller report investigation was about, and what a lot of the stuff around the Great Hack and those new Netflix documentaries, Cambridge, Analytica. About, Cambridge Analytica, has been yeah. about, is that you start getting tailored political preferences towards what you're into. So that's um, and just so confirmation bias. Mm. Confirmation bias, and you lose the free speech conditions that make um, that make free speech meaningful. Interesting. Uh, because what happens is that the community's eroded and everyone's separated into an eco chamber and they're yeah. made angry mm. and divided mm. and the advertising doesn't the it's advertising really model doesn't see the difference between a Russian bot and someone selling toothpaste. Okay? It goes where the emotions go. Mm. And so we really need to regulate that hugely. And that's why the second thing might be um, a, a change in the way we do privacy rights. Right? So there's a bunch of things that they've done in the European Union that have been brilliant, this thing called a GDPR, yeah. um, Global Data Protection Regulation. And there's the cookie stuff that they have as well. The cookie stuff where you can, it's the right to be forgotten. Now, you know when we're in the Netherlands, how like when you click on something, yes. they're always, not the cookie, yeah. um, When we live in the Netherlands, we actually notice it because all the yeah. time when you'd go into a website, yeah. it always asked you permission yeah. before you went yeah. on. So it's, it's reclaiming rights for the individual. I, I call it return to sender. You're returning what was sent out back to the sender. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then the Australian land, legal land landscape is just a big reviews come out by the ACCC looking at the ways in which we can yeah. alter our privacy law and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, look, before we probably move on to another topic, because yeah. we could delve into this for yeah, a couple of hours, yeah. I've got two rapid fire questions. Mm. I want a mm. yes or a no and just a very quick... I'm not a yes or no kind of guy. Okay. <laughs> a very quick um, yeah. sort of reason as why you yeah. go with maybe yes or a no. Uh, should big tech be broken up? Oh, it's, that's not a yes or no question. I mean... It's, it's so difficult. The problem with breakups is that the unintended consequences are huge. You're dealing with a future that you cannot actually map out in any way. You don't know where it's going to go. Mm. So we broke up Microsoft in the early 2000s or the late 90s, and arguably that's what made the room for the recent surveillance capitalists to take hold and move forward. So mm. Elizabeth Warren's program, um, whilst there are uh, matters of integrity involved in it, the unintended consequences of it really scare me. Yeah. So I wouldn't be going that way it, It's a tough issue. Yeah. Um, second quick question. Yeah. Uh, it's becoming very obvious how addicting social media is. They manufacture mm. it so it's like that. Also, the effects of it. Me and Sachin have talked about the rise of anxiety mm-hmm. amongst especially really, really young people yeah. where we haven't seen that as much in the past yeah. um, because of social media. Should the individual now be withdrawing from social media because it's so clear to us what they're trying to do? Um, and I'm not saying it's like an evil product, but should we withdraw from it? I think... I think why withdraw from something when you can try and restructure and change it? Yeah. Um, I personally have withdrawn from it. I'm not using... Uh, I'm not saying from uh, the point of someone that has power yeah. to do that. From an individual without power, should you withdraw? Um, I, think it's up, I think it's up to the user. I think it's a question of people aren't going to withdraw. So what we do need to do is that in, as individuals, we need to come together and look at new and creative ways to actually change the environment rather than run away from it. That's, mm. what, it's, that's what I would say. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a personal preference thing. Mm. I think there are intelligent ways you can use social media without kind of falling into its defects in the same way. Yeah. Um, this is a curiosity question, yeah. just to finish up. A lot of people speculate that yeah. a lot of the ads that you get from Facebook are driven by what you've said to your mic, and it's picked up from your mic what you've said. That's is there any evidence of that? Um, we do have evidence on, in, on Facebook Messenger of on some phones where you dictate onto voice messenger, you are, um, you are inadvertently giving them permission to take your voice messages and uh, to study them mm. in their kind of voice, voice recognition. Is that like the <laughs> <laughs> terms and conditions um, where we agree it, it to It must that? be. I haven't, I haven't even read it, but it's like um, that's what happened recently in the last yeah. few weeks. 
Um, they're but very it, unclear about what's I mean, going on. A lot of not to an extent where your phone is just resting there. You're talking to your mom in the kitchen. And because a lot of people that have told me they've had this experience, they're talking to their mom in the kitchen about, let's say, guitars. And the next time they check their um, phone, guitars come out. See, I think that might be down to the, the way the advertising model's working and how well it's kind of predicting our behavior. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. Let's just say the capacity is certainly there. Mm-hmm. And I think the there's, way they've been working, it wouldn't be surprising. There's also a big bias. It, I think it's one of those sort of heuristic yeah. things. Where you search for it when you like... Exactly. Yeah. So if we say like, oh, I was talking about a mm. guitar, guitar popped up. But what yeah. about all the times when you talk about something and it didn't pop up? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, yeah. It's a counterfactual. Um, you're correct. Think, what's yeah. it called? Gambler's fallacy. Oh, yeah, it's just that. like yeah, yeah, small samples. Um, yeah, yeah. Next thing I think is interesting to talk about that we were talking to about just before this, talking about a bit of your personal life and whether you want to go into public life, into politics later on. Hmm. More talking broadly, about, like current goals. And we're talking about this idea between remaining a virtuous person who upholds yeah. your morals and whether you should compromise to step into the political arena or some sort of arena where you can make change, but you're engaging in a sort of compromise. Yeah, look. Right, let, let me step in. Let, let for, for everyone listening to this wanky language, let me explain this what, to you. wasn't wanky. <laughs> when you talk to Jack, your language gets a bit more wanky. Yeah. I um, shift into my environment. <laughs> shift so, Change yeah. environment. I think it was basically, wanky. we're talking about um, yeah. goals in life before. Yeah. And um, essentially, Jack has publicly said before, if I'm allowed to say, that he wants to be the Prime Minister of Australia, no. which... <laughs> I think everyone around him thinks you can get to, right? I and don't, so I don't. Yeah. Your, your current goals and stuff, yeah. you've, you've been affected by what you want to put out to the world mm. versus the well-being that you want to experience within yourself. What, what Adam described as um, political life versus personal life. I know a lot of people... are talking about the abstract, extrapolated idea. All right. I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing. Like, I'm certainly someone who wants to be very involved with the way that political change goes about and how we develop policy and get it out and how leadership works in cultural change settings. I just don't think, I don't think that I actually will be involved in it directly. Yeah. Just because Mm. I think that, and this comes back to that question of how do we balance the kind of life we want to live and what our, what our personal goals are with what we want to kind of do in terms of service to others, right? In terms of actually getting things done in society. So Mm. I'm somebody who's very interested in the ideas in the questions and in implementing these things in independent ways with integrity. I just don't know if that environment would be the environment for me. Mm. Um, I'm far more inclined towards the writing sphere, um, the kind of commentary mm. sphere, but the independent change. Can you make as change. much change by writing? And in I don't know. That, I, I'm 21. I, compared to a lot of the intellectual people that I've seen and I know, I think mm. you have one of the best personal skills and the ability to connect and navigate yeah. those environments. Thank so. you. I appreciate it. I just, I, I really don't know, guys. Like, I, you know, I think, I don't think in that way. The way I think, the question I ask myself every morning is, am I in a state of grace when I wake up? Okay. <laughs> now, what's a state of grace? It's the idea of, is there a balance within me? Am I working at an equilibrium? Do I feel like I'm, you know, pursuing... Uh, like some uh, ideas and, and, and actions that are helping other people and at the same time feeling like I'm flourishing and happy with mm. where I'm at. Interesting. What and I don't know if that involved. What was your state of grace after your 21st? What was your state after your 21st? It was a state of grace. It was a lovely state of grace. State of grace is <laughs> nuanced. But, um, but uh, you know, that's the question I ask myself and that's kind of what I want to pursue. I know what I value and what I want to think about what I want to write about and what I want to actually change in independent environments. I just yeah. don't think mm. that, I don't know if public life always, um, mm. I don't know, I'm not in it, um, is always a healthy way of actually going about that in the way you want to. I um, think Some people do know, yeah. but I, I don't, it's not my 
my personality. Yeah. We went to that talk a couple of weeks ago, yeah. ago where the founder of GetUp was talking. Yeah. And I think what that really showed was that She's technology great. is enabling us to make yeah. change, especially political change mm. in areas outside of the political mm. arena. So GetUp, it's in sort of online forum where people, um, uh, they vote for certain things mm. and those petitions go off to parliament. Mm. And it actually does make change. So mm. I think we are seeing a rise in where there's alternative ways. There's a lot of ways to, to lead, I think, and make change. Like, you know, um, a mentor of mine says, you know, a lot of leaders hold offices, but they're not leaders. You know, there's lots of ways to go about mm. it. And I think, you know, we were talking about crowds before and crowd mentality. There yeah. are times when activism and group movements get as far further than any form of uh, political mm. uh, kind of machination would. Yeah. Um, like, let's like, you know, for example, the the climate strikes as mm. of late. Um, you know, normally I'm pretty skeptical and hesitant towards any form of kind of group movement that? that tries to act outside of institutions. But I think in this case, it's completely, um, it's, it's courageous, brave, and it's inspired. It's people coming together united by a principle for what they want to pursue. Mm. And, um, and people are, cha- are starting to get movement on this where governments haven't. So there are lots of ways to go about mm. it. Some of the greatest commentators, people like Christopher Hitchens, you know, you know, you know, I respect Waleed Ali quite a lot. Everyone knows that um, mm. in the Australian landscape. There's a lot of ways to go about this. Mm, um, you know, cultural change often works best from independent standpoints, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, do you think the climate change is going to have an effect on our politicians? Their stance towards climate policy? As in the, the climate policy? Oh, I, yeah. I hope so. Um, it has to. <laughs> I mean, it has to. I, mm. I just... We're, we're getting to such a fissure point now. So many people are involved in it and outside of government. I really, I really hope that governments start to listen and become imaginative and bold on this. I also like, don't think they'll win elections as well if they don't. You have to hope that democracy does what it's meant to do, I guess. And and for, I don't have the answer to that, but I, mm. I really hope so. Mm. Mm. Um, um, like something that yeah. I'm sort of struggling with about the climate strike. So no, I think I think it's good promoting mm. good causes, and a lot of people are getting around it. Mm. I believe the, one of the group that was um, organising it. I forget the name, but they, they wanted Australia to be totally off um, fossil fuel energy by 2030, and they wanted it to be publicly owned. I think that like a lot of people have this sort of mentality. They get into this mentality that sort of fossil fuel is um, it's like evil, like it's sort of emitting emissions, but then a lot of our country mm. was built off what was created from fossil fuel, and then they sort of realised that, oh, wait, it's, mm. it's also doing sort of bad things to our planet. What, what's your sort of perspective about sort of fossil fuels in that industry and... Oh yeah. Do you have um, a perspective on it? Yeah, I, I do. I, I do. I, I'm, you know, I'm someone who likes gradual reform mm. over time, but I think there are some instances where the urgency of a moment demands pretty radical action, mm. and I think that we need to radically reimagine ways that we can actually, yeah. you know, deal with energy, store energy, and move away from fossil fuels. Fuels, but we need to still have. Um, we still need to have a consideration of what we are coming from. So maybe yeah. the transition can't be necessarily that fast. I don't know. The, I have to properly read on that. I'm not going to make a comment on that without researching that. It mm. could be possible. But my inclination would be the ambition there is really positive. The principle there is really positive. Let's work out a creative way to get towards that. It yeah. might not be within that specific time frame, yeah. but I like what's driving it as well. Yeah. 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 Without, without neglecting the circumstance and how our economy is currently working. Yeah. No, I, th- um, yeah, I think that's a good pass. Yeah, don't yeah. forget our point. We're a great nation and a lot of us is built of fossil fuels. Yeah, see, that's almost a different... Ar- like, that's almost yeah. like a, a political nationalistic argument about it. Like, that's an interesting point. What do you mean by that? Like, 
Oh, okay. The like, first um, point was just a yeah. offhand comment that we're a great country, but I'm just well, saying we are a great country. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying a lot of it is like yeah. built off fossil fuels. Yeah. I was just reading statistics. Um, totally. Australian yeah, today, it was like 115 billion dollars mm. um, a year of sort of fossil fuel exports. Like, yeah, that's a really large percentage of our G- yeah, GDP. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's but been just because it's the really way it is now doesn't mean it has to always be the way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying don't forget the past. I know, but I think we have to forget the past if we want to actually save our. I, no, I, th- I think that you can remember. You can be manumitted from the past if freed from its chattels without neglecting it altogether. You can yeah. you can let the past guide the prudence of your actions, the mm. how kind of tailored to circumstance you are, but don't let that hold the what, hold back I, the way I, you're I'm saying the ideology, predict. like I just don't think um, it should be like coal is like a really, really bad thing. Just like see it in the sort of advantages and disadvantages of it. Like what it's done for us in the past mm. about how it's built. Like a lot of our economy, jobs and yeah. stuff. So. I mean, Cole's what? not Cole's not a person, right? It's yeah, not going to get offended. Like so, yeah. it's like um, I see what you're saying. You're saying, let's not, you know, neglect our economic history and our political development. That's yeah. important to understand where we're going. That's what I'm saying. But I'm, I think what's that? I'm saying just saying we, we need shouldn't to, forget the past, but we um, st- we can still act with the idea. I think we're going to focus completely on. I think for the average person, like the fact that Australia was built off coal isn't a big deal. Like to me, it's like cool. I think we should be sitting ambitious ten, 10 times. Name a few people that would care that Australia was built off. Like, I'm saying like a lot of people in Western Australia. I'm so, I'm not, so I think we should double down, triple down on everything we're doing with renewables. I just don't think we should have like a hate to that industry. I don't think um, it's a hate. It's like, just a need for change. It's yeah, not, like, I don't know. I'm just saying we shouldn't forget our past. Yeah, I don't agree with people like hassling farmers and stuff because like vegans hassling farmers and stuff because of climate change. I agree with the sentiment, but there's a right way of going about things. And as Jack says, gradual change is the way to go. The best way to respect the past is to um, is to let it grow into a greater future, I think. You mm. know what I mean? It's like it's like a child almost. We develop over time. Yeah, we yeah. grow. That's what we need to do. So we can't forget where we've come from or what's gotten us here, but sometimes the keys to understanding what went wrong in the past or how we could be at a better point now mm. are locked there, and that's how we go forward. I yeah, think. yeah. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. So well, I, I think I think both of you are correct, actually. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, point that mm. I know I was sort of hesitant about bringing it up, but I no, I'm interested. Yeah. Um, so Greta Thunberg. So yeah. a lot of people on sort of one side saying that mm. she's sort of an amazing young person who's leading change. Yeah. Um, she's talking to important institutions. Mm. And yeah, yeah, I think that's good. But then there's a lot of people like really berating her, saying that the media sort of manipulating and, um, and you find they're all child. like old people with not much time or like Largely very conserv- white conservative or, or people. conservative people like Pauline Hanson came out mm. and, and a lot of people Hansen are saying that oh she sort of misconstrues facts and she d- doesn't really know her science but like I mean like she's young and she's doing a good thing like what, what's your opinion I, my, my opinion on, on on Greta herself is I think who are we to criticize a young person who's actually quite passionate about something very important mm. and is it has the courage and the willingness to take a stand on it, I think I do respect her for that. And mm. I think that, you know, the President of the United States going out and attacking her for this kind of thing or whatever what did, it's like. What did he say? See, I can't remember what exactly it was, but last week he came out, you know, saying a don't lot of people, A lot something. of people are questioning um, the science behind it and stuff, but they're just questioning climate look, change as a whole. I think we need, to, we need to see this in a broader context. Greta's just one part of a bigger movement, right? Mm. So it's not just about Greta, it's about a whole host of young people who want to be involved here and she'd want to say the same thing. And mm. it's about how government regulators interact with public uh, crowd movements. It's like the surveillance capitalist thing we were talking about before. But in terms of Greta herself, um, sure, some people might be uh, weaponizing her and using her as a symbol and maybe turning her into a myth for their own purposes. Um, that's a separate question. But I think Greta herself, I don't see how she... 
I think that she is driven by something good, and there is mm. aggression there, and there mm. is un- dissatisfaction, and mm. fair enough. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I a lot of people criticise her tone and stuff, and I just think that's such, like, a minor thing to pick yeah. up on. And I think I read somewhere she has, like, autism or Asperger's. Or yeah, don't, don't, yeah, don't hate on Greta. Instead, consider how people are using her image and how they're, they're mm. kind of perpetuating mm. that and using mm. it for her different mm. purposes. Let her mm. speak her truth as she speaks it, I think. Mm. Yeah. Coming back to what we were talking about earlier yeah. in terms of interesting. your view of public life and stuff like that, yeah. what, what's your current goals and, like, what do you currently yeah. want to achieve right now? So kind of for the next kind of five, ten years, the big focus for me is how can I unite all my different interests towards different, you know, leadership and cultural change contexts is essentially yeah. what I'm considering. So I care a lot about gender equality. I care a lot about Australian republicanism, right? Mm. Um, I care a lot about how we treat our Indigenous peoples, okay, and why that's such an important yeah. uh, problem to address urgently. I care about climate change. I care about our relationship with China, how we treat our international students. Um, I care about racial issues. So all these different things I want to try and unite. And I think the way to do that is through writing and, um, and still working in the community in the way that I've been doing, but also maybe starting to look at some bigger projects I can start up in terms of looking at how we can help uh, young leaders actually move towards these goals in their own way. So that's what stuff I've kind of been thinking about. Um, so um, that's, what, that's what it's about for me for the next five to ten years and also just read as much as possible um, be in a state of grace every morning. Mm. Um, are you going to use law as the vehicle to initiate this change, or is it going to be more writing and kind of? I I, re- I don't I really don't know. It just it goes where it goes. I don't think knowing me that it will be law. I think that it will yeah. be more the literary, um, you know, social stuff rather than the legal stuff. Um, Interesting. It might it might be. I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I find yeah. this whole changing through writing. Um, very yeah. interesting because I'm pretty naive about its impacts because I'm someone yeah. that's very much like get on the front foot, blah, 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 blah. You've written stuff. You've written a lot of stuff. Tim Ferriss, David Aspie. No, I, I definitely David think Aspie. books can change a lot yeah. of people and a lot of things. Mm. But like on the if you want to like create this massive change immediately and draw all these things together, do you think one book or one ideology can do that? See, that's not how I'm thinking. I'm not thinking of writing as being this great kind of magic change agent. I okay. think of writing as being a way of reflecting and working through ideas, struggling with ideas and coming to a position on things. That's okay, what it means cool. to me. So oh, it's, more, it's more as, as a reflective standpoint and sharing that with other people and trying to have commentary out there in the world. Mm. But it's it's not so much about um, other people and actually trying to remould the world. It's not about that at all. It's about how I actually interrogate my own values interesting, and, interesting. and sense of ideas. Mm. Um, that's what it's about. And it's I think like, everyone should mm. be doing that. I it's think. like your own township where you criticise your own ideas. It is it's it's so funny, it. but it's literally that. Like, um, that's what John Stuart Mill says liberalism is. It's, it's kind of like you hack apart truth mm. on the butcher's slab until only the truth remains. It's like mm. you're fighting with yourself. And mm. I think you said the word before, was it the mind... You know the the, the 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 sound in your mind running around your head, head noise. noise. Head noise. You take <laughs> that's very unrelated. Yeah, you take the head very noise. Unrelated. You take the head noise and you let it bash itself out, and you come to some truth. <laughs> no, yeah, um, yeah, that's so, uh, yeah, Let's move on from that. Yeah. Like, um, no, yeah. I, I think that's great. Yeah. I think that's a yeah. great point. Um, yeah, you sort of see this political climate, and especially on social yeah. media, where we don't accept the others' viewpoints, even if they're not your own. Um, you don't have to accept them; you just have to. I'm sorry, not accept with them, with them yeah. engage. Yeah, 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 accept yeah. that they are a view, yeah. and that you're going to debate it instead of just mindlessly attacking. Yeah, and yeah, in social yeah. media, it's so easy to mindlessly seems like, attack. It seems like your writing is like an extended journalism, because when a lot like yeah. so an extended journal, like a lot of people when they're confused, that's and stuff, literally what it is. Write down yeah. a lot of things, yeah. and, I think good. and the personal and the public is Adam. They're all you know, it's all it all interrelates in a lovely way. It is. It is. Seriously, yeah. Just journaling. So definitely um, journal. How do you write? 
Like, do you, do you have a plan physical? each day? Like, At this time, I'm going to write. He types. Um, <laughs> how, do you, how do you write? Um, well, when, I'm, when I was doing that big project and I got my honours big thing next year as well, like the way I did it really poorly when I was doing this thing, I worked very late at night. So I'd start, I'd do uni work and all my other work and everything till about 9.30 at night. And then from then till two o'clock every night or so, sometimes three, I'd then do the writing for this. Very late at night not good conditions. Um, sometimes beautiful stuff would come out, but uh, I don't think that's a healthy way of doing it. So the way I'm going to change is I'm going to wake up very early, eat, then start writing, and maybe for a four-hour block and then do other stuff during the day. Yeah. But I think it's very important how you um, use different modes when you're writing. So I dictate a lot of my work. Interesting. So I don't actually mm. type it. Um, I use the, you know, the only Apple algorithm that's true. Apple's algorithms are all private and they're very polite. <laughs> so there's this one called Oliver, which I use. Yeah. So you dictate to it and it will type down what you're saying. Because mm. I'm very into music and, and speaking language. So it helps you do it in that way. It's kind of like yeah. more rhetorical. Um, so that's how I write. Yeah. Mm. Very I'm still learning how to do it. Like it's very... Yeah, you know, what's a like everyone writes, so it's just like it's just something I'm interested in trying to get better at. And mm. yeah, what else are you thinking about improving in the next few years, or um, things you should improve about yourself, or things you yeah. want to try out? I think for me, it's really about in terms of philosophy and stuff. How can you balance your principles with reality in life, and yeah. not just in in a in a philosophical sense, but I mean personally, that for me has been a real um, a real thing that I've been thinking about lately. How do you make this work? Because you can read about people in their great lives who manage to do this. Um, they always, but they always fall short of the... The goal always falls short of the reach, as Leonard Cohen would say. It's the idea that when we're trying to do something, it's the, it's the act of striving for it, trying to become better that actually matters, not so much completing the goal. So for me, learning to be comfortable with that mm. and, um, and actually, you know kind of being a bit easier on the inner commander, as Kant would call it, you know, yeah. the kind of inner ethical voice, trying to, trying to learn how to work with that a bit more is important. Um, and then apart from that, I just, I really, I'm really keen on starting to get into more direct leadership stuff now. I'm kind of starting to read a bit less, I've come out of that and start doing more. And I just want to start doing my poetry, like continuing that a lot and my writing stuff, creative writing too, which I think is really important. Um, and Should yeah, all people stuff. creatively write. I mean, it's up to you. Like, it's, it's, it's like, should more people play rugby union? Like, that's a creative act as well. So it's like, not everyone, um, it is, it is. Not everyone should have to do it. But I think for me personally, the way my interests coalesce, I think it's pretty critical. Mm. Um, yeah. Before you dive into those books, I know you want to yeah. talk about them. <laughs> to um, this is something I've been discussing with yeah. a lot of people. And I think for mm. a type A, slightly ambitious person, this is mm. something that a lot of people struggle with. It's the, it's kind of being forward thinking and ambitious with your goals and balancing that with being present and enjoying each and every moment. Mm. How do you think about that distinction? And if, if you do, yeah. and what like kind of thoughts you have about it? I'm, I'm, I'm weird because I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably type A. I'm, I'm ambitious, but I'm not ambitious in the sense of normal. I think it's a different kind of ambition. It's like, yeah. I, it's, a, it's the way I feel and the way that I react and interrelate, interrelate with other people. So, but I think... I think what we have to be careful is that we always have to be coming back to that inner life, that thing we're trying to preserve against the surveillance capitalists, mm. right? You need to take time to engage with it. And sometimes that intuition is there and you need to listen to it when external circumstances are kind of fighting against it. And that's yeah. what I mean by this reach point. Like, I think for a lot of young people who are ambitious and want to you know, um, achieve certain goals, which are all great goals, whether it be in law, whether it be in politics or in engineering or whatever, mm. 
we need to still preserve time for that in our life and thinking about what drives us in terms of meaning and why we're doing things. Mm. And what's more important is that reach. It doesn't matter what goals we actually accomplish. It's the fact that we're reaching for them, that life is a series of failures and that in the failures, the truth will reveal itself. I think that's how it is meant to work. I don't yeah. really know, right? Um, so that's what I mean. That's my focus. How can I become comfortable with that balance, comfortable with that state of grace where I'm reaching for different things um, and they might not work out or I might change course and being okay with that change because that's kind of what drives us forward. So that's what I would say people need to learn to attune themselves into more. There are a variety of ways of doing that. Like this is what you did with your bodybuilding. Yeah, yeah. Um, Um, It's what Adam's doing now with trying out his different public service sector jobs and that kind of stuff. I I think um, for what you just said about attuning to your public life, I think there'll be people that will question how to do that. I think a great way of doing that is actually just realizing or just thinking about that we're all going to die. And when you eventually, when we eventually die, what do you want to achieve? And that's something that Gary Vee talks about a lot. He's like, Mm. Gary Vee, motivate me. You're going to fucking die. And then Mm. they're like, okay, cool. Like I often mm. think like, it's not what I want to achieve. It's, it's how I want to be. That's, I think Mm. that's a very healthy way of thinking about it. Because no matter what the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune do to you pulling out there and over and over, right? It's like, it's how can I, through that chaos, maintain some kind of, um, there's this great phrase that comes from Ernest Hemingway, which is the idea of how do I affirm grace and courage under pressure? Interesting. In the, in the face of these external things going on, everything going crazy, how can I preserve myself within this? That yeah. works in a variety of ways. I think it's about connecting with the people you love. Mm. You know, I think love is the energizing force within that. And I think it's about being, um, it's being realistic about your imperfection, the way you work, that you're not going to mm. come out of the box perfect. Yeah. That this is something you need to work at. Um, Very interesting. What a, yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like I'm, I don't know. Like the whole the whole idea of that is that I don't actually know. That's what the whole mm, thesis yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think. You know? this, um, I think. Um, I know it. Re- reaching. I think that's one of the most. Yeah, it's a lovely phrase. That phrase, yeah. isn't it? Um, the goal always falls short of the reach. And to mm. focus, like now in my visualizations, every morning I start with the person I want to be in the day and the person, the values I want to. Mm. Um, kind of give off and yeah. the people I want to lift up before I think about my goals and stuff because mm. it's a lot more important. And I think yeah. that through that, you always end up inevitably achieving goals. Mm. Like I remember the start of this year when me and Adam were setting our goals, I did something a bit different. I kind of talked about more about habits and things I wanted to try and do rather than specific goals because I'm a big believer if you do those habits, if you reach out to people, if you constantly get out of your comfort zone, good things will inevitably come and you don't need to kind of set this, I want this internship, I want this, I want this, those things will come. Mm. Yeah, it's like that nature thing. Who has a why can bear mm-hmm. anyhow? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Mm. That, was, that was all really interesting. Yeah. Um, talking about that in life, I feel definitely being on Sydney mm. Uni campus, surrounded by so many ambitious people, and also social media. You feel like this inner life is something that's been mm. respected less and something people. And I mean, but yeah, less. but I guess we can't excuse the response. We're responsible for that inner life. Like you know, oh, what yeah, I mean, yeah, like yeah, we're the course, ones that have to manage it, that have to work out how we are feeling and, and or kind of not work at how we're feeling but learn how to react to ourselves and I don't think we can kind of um, you know superimpose that on anyone else I think we need to take mm. lay claim to it I think everyone has like Wrong moments of yeah. like sonder and stuff where they kind mm. of feel that everyone else has this inner life but I think they're just I, I mean everyone's crazy. feeling this is what it yeah, it's just, yeah. Everyone's, mm. everyone's broken in that way it's a, that's what the hallelujah idea is right it's kind of yeah it's a lovely thing actually <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I'm just... Yeah, it's a lot. It's just... Yeah, yeah. Back all that. Yeah. Um, something... <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad. <laughs> That's sorry. good. Yeah. You went from going to like... <laughs> to back all that. Like, no, he's, he's, he's fine. I think it's fine. Yeah, it's good. 
um, <laughs> something, something I, I want to start doing personally, sort of, mm. about, sort of the books we're all reading um, at the end yeah, of the podcast, it, and yeah. maybe and maybe talk a bit about what <laughs> nothing maybe do some like sort of book review <laughs> episodes um, because me and Sachin, for example, have a lot of books in common that we love, like Tools of Titans by. Um, Tim Ferriss, that's your favourite book, and just give some sort of reviews and summaries. Mm. Um, but just a couple of books I'm reading. This is one that's, uh, Jack's been reading. It's called uh, Democracy in America by Alexi de Tocqueville. And it's about the sort of experiment of democracy in America and how that was really unique in the idea of a township and people sort of um, attacking ideas and how mm. a democracy could fall through despotism and um, the tyranny of the majority. Mm. Fascinating book. Incredible. Um, this has opened my eyes to so many things I took for granted. Like the idea of living in a liberal democracy. I thought that's sort of the way it's always been. And you realize it's such a new experiment and the origins from it. Fascinating yeah. book. It's, Incredible, it's really yeah. chunky. Very, um, very helpful for understanding social media yeah, today. Yeah. Very helpful. Um, now, second book, more c- contemporary, that this was written over 200 years ago, is um, How to Defend Australia by Hugh White. He's a professor of strategic studies at ANU. He used to be an advisor to Kim Be- Beasley and Bob Hawke. Mm. And this is about sort of the future of threats and risks mm. in Australia foreign policy. And I think it's quite relevant um, today's China's sort of 70th birthday. Um, they've been doing a lot of parading, yeah. um, showing some sort yeah, of weapons parade, on display. Yeah. And PwC mm. did a uh, study that well, they think by, I believe it was, it was either 2040 or 2050, yeah, China's GDP is yeah. going to be twice as much as US. Um, and obviously their military capability at the moment is a fraction of the US's. Mm. But with this economic might, is going to come military might. Um, and it's sort of this idea about the position of Australia in the future. Mm. Can we keep on relying on America? Because it's going to become increasingly yeah. costly to them. Um, and where do we fit in? Mm. So I'll just, um, what's sort of your opinion on that uh, in the sort of defense aspect in the next sort of 40 years do we face threats and any risks i'd have i have to think about it more like hugh white's argument is that we need to pull away um from the american reliance essentially since the fall of singapore in 1942 australia realizes that we can no longer rely on our external allies to come and save us Mm. when things go wrong in that time britain right so essentially what white argues is that we can't rely on america to do what the british couldn't do in 1942 Mm. they're not going to come in and you know save the day because um, Australia's defence policy is heavily reliant on the American alliance. And you saw Scott yeah. Morrison, you know, in, in the US just last week, look how much that relationship is mm. is working, and he, ha- and he has to do that. It's also um, interesting that the, our relationship yeah. with the US is working against us economically in terms of our relationship with China. Yeah, so, so I guess White's argument is that we need to work out an independent strategy for dealing with a rising China mm. that is... Um, that is independent of American interests, because he sort of intuits that America's not going to risk its resources in a full frontal uh, war with China. Look, a lot of this stuff's extrapolative. We're working in foreign policy and defense, so we're dealing with fairly dramatic terms. Hugh White doesn't make it out in that way, but that's one of his arguments. Um, mm. And then he talks about perhaps the need for nuclear weapons, that kind of thing, yeah. um, which I don't well, necessarily... Do you think nuclear weapons are always a good thing? That if every, maybe talking in a game theoretical sense, if every participant has a nuclear weapon this prevents attack? Well, that's what mutually assured destruction is. That's been yeah. the kind of running, that was a running motif of the Cold War. Mm. I think it's a fairly unimaginative way of thinking about it. I think there are other mm. ways we can go about it. Um, but, I mean, since we have them, and they're not, like, they're probably not going away. Yeah, like, obviously I'm not inclined towards nuclear weapons. I have to think about more, I don't have a, mm. a, 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 a set opinion on it, but mm. my intuition is against it. But I think that mm. we should take the time to properly listen to Hugh White and engage with what he's saying, because mm. he mm. wouldn't be saying something unless he had a reason for saying it. Yeah. Um, but 
my intuition is by perpetuating things in this world and relying on a mutually assured destruction, you're just setting up an edifice that's bound to fall at some point. Mm, mm. Right. Yeah, and I mean, mm. sometimes, I mean, some people might think this is a lot of undue worry. And China hasn't I mean, we have to appeared think about it, yeah. particularly threatening, but yes, we have to think mm. about it. Sort of instances like mm. um, sort of South China Sea Islands and Taiwan. Um, and Paul Keating had a good quote saying that the great emerging powers, you need to give them strategic uh, room. You need to give them room to yeah. flex and be ambitious. Um, and see, Keating, Keating yeah. loved, I think, he's, he's endorsed Hugh oh, yeah. White before. Mm. Um, so I wonder what he think about this. Yeah, um, I don't know. I'm yeah. keen to finish reading it. It's really fascinating. It's very fascinating. Just for understanding Australia's strategic history as well is very good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I think um, that's going to be our time. Cool. Uh, we're going to start doing something where just one sentence, we're going to ask our guests what they want to leave the audience with. One sentence, you can say anything. It's just what you want to leave. They're probably, what, 200 to 1,000 people that are going to watch this. <laughs> uh, wake up every day in a state of grace. That's the main thing. Thank you very much, everyone. Yeah. This mm. was episode one of season two. Yeah, and we're going to be doing this every week now. Remember that Dream. name, Jack Jacobs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>